1: Bonjour. Bonjour.
0: Hello and welcome to this 50th edition of So French. The show about the twists and turns, intrigues and insights to all things French.
1: Yeah, that's really a surprising. Félicitations! Uh, bon anniversaire! Uh, merci. <laughs> and it's actually thanks to you, dear listener, that we already made fifty podcasts of So French. Uh, we're very happy about that. Uh, we hope we'll do fifty more at least, uh, and that you keep listening to So French. My name is Stéphane De Vries,
0: and my name is Sara Bertilsson.
1: And this week uh, we talk again about strikes, about the bad approval ratings, and a trolling former president, all at once. Uh, It's almost one year to the day after the election of Emmanuel Macron. And how is he doing?
0: And an end to an era. You probably thought that this was done years ago, but it was actually only this week that the last French telegram was sent. Full stop.
1: And we also have a look at the Cannes Film Festival. It's about to start next week. (laughs)
0: So now one month and 14 striking days later, uh, the French railway company, SNCF, keeping up with their protests against the planned reforms, the government's planned reforms of the the state-owned company. It seems like, you know, they have fewer and fewer participants, but the the interruptions are quite still uh, quite big.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The trains, uh, are, are running even on the days that there are strikes, but, you know, maybe one in two trains are running. And, um, because they strike every two days, even on the days that are supposed to work, the, the network is pretty, uh, disturbed because there are trains and places that they're not supposed, supposed to be. Um, and of course, people are starting to get, um, well, a bit annoyed by the um, strikes, ongoing strikes. They're losing their patience. Um, and we also see that the people who participate in the strikes is going down. Although the controllers and the train drivers are respecting the strikes, about 60% of them are still participating.
0: That's why the disruptions are so big. Because, yeah. of course, that has a big impact. If you if you don't have any ticket controls or train drivers, of course, there will be no trains leaving the stations. Um And, and I mean, if we look at the, the managers, for example, only 10% of the managers are, are striking or even less. I think it's about 6%. uh, It depends a little bit on the striking days, but Mm -hmm. very few. And this shows as well that there is some kind of split within the SNCF company. I would say that, you know, it's not only the SNCF against the government um, and these planned reforms, but even within.
1: Absolutely. And and I think a lot of people who work at the SNCF, they know that they will have to change. And even within the SNCF, you already have other companies like thalys the trains to Brussels and Amsterdam or the Eurostar. Uh, to London. Those are also SNCF companies but they already operate under the new regime and, and there are rarely strikes at those companies and they're doing pretty well. So um, I think within the SNCF there, there are people that see the necessity of change and so they simply don't participate and also the number of people participating is going down uh, since the first uh, strike. Um, Le Monde, the newspaper, had a very complicated uh, <laughs> calculation about the fact that it has not such a big impact. But because
0: they've been Trying to compare this movement to the the big uh, strike and social movements in 1990s, um, and this has been the whole thing with this person. You know, we're going to show that we can be as this can be as powerful and as important as it was in 1990s. But this Le Mon calculation that you know takes into consideration all different things. I'm not going to get into that, but um, they actually show that it's not quite uh, as uh, as not quite as a big impact and not that many strikers as it did have in the 1990s um the big um the big protest then of course the one the major uh protest movement that uh it's the the protest movement the mother of them all is of course the may 1968 protests here in paris and and this what's going on here in may uh 50 years later is uh nothing uh, compared to that
1: no absolutely not and um if you go into the french uh, newsstands you see uh, may 68 commemorial issues everywhere uh, on the radio they're they talking about of that this. and it's already <laughs> half a century ago
0: i think it's the no- i mean french people love these commemorations and and the the nostalgia and the the idea of of revolutions i guess
1: yeah absolutely and it's there are not only strikes at the sncf but also at other uh, companies but they are completely unrelated and the the unions think well you know uh let's let's Strike all together and protest and and let's redo May sixty eight and every couple of years in spring there are protests and strikes in France and every time they say okay this is going to be a new May sixty eight but you know it never really happens and uh, as we've seen now with the the weather weather is getting better uh, there are exams at the universities you know reality takes over and uh, it doesn't really
0: seem to be a um we talked about this earlier a, a real. Uh wish from uh, all parties to uh, unite these different combats to one. I mean, there are some uh, unions that are very much pushing for that, but other unions are saying, you know, we're not interested yeah. in, um, in in some kind of convergence de lutte, as it's yeah, called. Yeah. <laughs> the Beautiful, convergence you of battles. Exactly, a united battle. Uh, yeah, they, yeah. They, they, some keep, prefer to, to keep uh, protesting on their own uh, issues.
1: Yeah. And for instance, that Air France KLM pilots are on strike. They are very powerful because, well, when there's no pilot, <laughs> you can't fly. Not yet. Uh, and they are, they have very high salaries, but they're also very powerful. Uh, and, and they also very selfish. They basically fight for their own rights for the pilots and not for the other personnel on board. And they have nothing to do with the, uh, strikers on the railway.
0: The SNCF neither with the with the students, of course.
1: So yes, there are a lot of strikes this spring, but it's really not a new May 1968.
0: We're almost one year to the day since the election of Emmanuel Macron. We have been talking a lot about Emmanuel yeah, Macron yeah. on this podcast. He has been everywhere over this last year, an impressive amount of reforms uh, and, you know, a very high-speed reform program put in place. And now, one year after, of course, it's the time for some kind of look back and see how is he doing and how, I mean, what are the French thinking about him?
1: I think it's a little bit too early. You know, a year is, is not much, but uh, the French think, think differently. 64% of the French are disappointed in their president. And of these 64%, 28% is very disappointed. So he has disappointed a lot of people.
0: It must be said that no one really knew what they could expect from him either. I yeah. mean, there were a lot of, I think, a lot of hope put in Emmanuel Macron. At the same time, it was very difficult to actually know what he was going to do, even though there was a program, of course, yeah. and he has. He, it must be said he has followed his program. Absolutely. But you, I mean, there were so many, you know, you had left-wing voters right-wing voters centrist voters and this whole big mix of people and maybe you know difficult to know what you're actually going to end up with at the end of the day
1: yes uh, absolutely and um, of course uh, what's interesting is that um People disapprove some of his politics, but not really. It's not very clear what they really want because let's give an example. As we just mentioned, the, they uh, approved the reform of the, of the railways, 62%. But then the controversial asylum and immigration bill that was voted last week, that is disapproved by 52% of the people. So they sometimes they agree with him and sometimes they. They are against him. And the same goes for the fiscal policies. 69 percent, so over two-thirds, they disapprove the reforms in wealth tax, the cuts Quite a lot of it, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a lot, yeah.
0: And it's been said that he, I mean, many, it must be said that, you know, his the fiscal policies has been quite right-wing, you know. We've seen the wealth tax being cut and, as you said, the the students' benefits and and all of that. So I think many are considering that it's a very right-wing program when it comes to the fiscal policies. Yeah.
1: So he he made a campaign last year, uh, Emmanuel Macron, that he was neither from the left nor from the right.
0: And it looks like he has sort of um, succeeded in that because, according to the numbers and, you know, this particular... Um, poll 46% consider him uh consider him neither left right or centrist Uh, I don't know what he is in that case but I mean that's up to them to say Uh, so I mean almost half of the voters but then if you look uh you know those uh, 35% do find him to the right after all and only 4% 4% would uh, consider him to be to the left of the political spectra.
1: which is interesting, because in the parliament, um, the Les République, um, La République en Marche, they have members from the former Socialist Party as well. Almost half, I think.
0: But I think if you look at what we were talking about, the, the, the reforms that have been pushed through so far, what has getting has been getting a lot of attention in the media has, of course, been the uh, the fiscal reforms, mm-hmm. very much a, a right wing or very bis- pro business uh, fiscal policy and um the uh an asylum and immigration bill also got a lot of uh media attention, and maybe also we can talk about it in the the labor reforms. of course, these three issues all uh i would say going more in the right wing direction mm-hmm. than in a left wing so I would say for a general public to consider him to be left uh with those major topics on the agenda uh, would be difficult.
1: Well, it's too early to judge. After one year, the unemployment is not really moving. But there is some good news uh, from Brussels.
0: Yeah, uh, this week, actually, the the European Commission announced that France will be considered out of the... Uh, the, the bad guys. The bad <laughs> no longer the bad guys, exactly. Uh, they have been, you know, criticized by the European Union for for over 10 years, having had a budget deficit of more than 3% and this is according to EU rules not allowed. France uh, not always following the rules and has had a a big problem getting under that uh, 3% bar. But now for the second year in a row it looks like uh, this is going to happen and even though the european commission uh, thinks that that will be the case also for next year. Uh, so france now will have a in 2017 the budget de- deficit was about 2.6% of the gross domestic p- product. Uh, this year uh, it's expected to uh, land at about 2.3%. so good news yeah. uh, for france, good news for <laughs> who, this, this, this was announced by Pierre Moscovici, who is then the European Commissioner for France. <laughs> but he couldn't help himself when he was Incredible. announcing these numbers to say that <laughs> it was all a little bit thanks to him, yeah. actually, because as we know, he used to be a finance minister. Yeah, in indeed. So always, <laughs>
1: always very modest to those French politicians. Uh, so so but, French. <laughs> but, <laughs>
0: but someone, I mean, good news for, for then, for Pierre Moscovici and good news for Emmanuel Macron and for France, I think you would say, but someone is uh, not that happy. About all of this. Or maybe not thinking that he's getting enough credit for what's going on. Exactly. Vous écoutez So French.
1: You are listening to So French. Now, former presidents are supposed to keep their distance and not comment on their successors. But François Hollande, he thinks differently. He really doesn't like to be in the shadow of his pupil, Emmanuel Macron, uh, who basically backstabbed him, uh, according to François Hollande. Uh, The one-term president, he can't stop trolling the current president. He published a book last month, uh, the first part of his memoirs. And he has been on TV and on the radio uh, ever since, actually. <laughs> so he should be happy about the fact there's good economical news. But he doesn't really seem to be happy. So he has been in the media all the time. And, and these are a few of the things he has been saying lately about uh, Emmanuel Macron.
0: Le président des riches, c'est ce qu'on entend beaucoup. C'est ce que vous pensez? Non, ce pas vrai. Il est le président des très riches. Vous avez ma réponse. Vous auriez pu le battre, vous, à cette élection J'aurais pu, mais je ne l'ai pas voulu. We could hear that François Hollande speaking to different journalists. And what he said there was, first of all, that Emmanuel Macron is not the president of the rich. He is the president of the very rich. (laughs) This caused quite a lot of stir and a lot of funny comments on Twitter and social media, I must say. Uh, Secondly, he also said that um, Emmanuel Macron wasn't elected because of his transgression or anything, but because the left was split and the right in ruins.
1: And how, well, the left was split, left was in ruins as well. And who who was responsible?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then thirdly, what he also said is that He asked the question, would he have beaten Macron? And he said, I could have, but I didn't want to.
1: (laughs) Always modest, uh, this old president. François Hollande, Uh, we'll be probably hearing more of him because he certainly looks like he likes to be back again uh, in the media. And the journalists as well, they they love him because he is very outspoken. So that's uh, François Hollande.
0: Now, speaking of Emmanuel Macron, (laughs) once again, he has been... He's been touring the world. Yeah, he's
1: collecting air miles.
0: Absolutely. He was last week in the US, very closely followed trip to Washington. Uh, This week, he has been in Australia, also creating some headlines.
1: Yes, of course, everybody knows that Macron speaks English. And let's have a listen to what he said when he was in Australia.
0: But I wanted to thank you for your welcome. Thank you and your delicious wife for your warm welcome. The perfect organisation of this trip, thanks to you and Lucy. Thank you very much, Mr. Prime Minister. Well, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Yummy. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Now this made this this created some got some people to laugh uh, around the world. Uh, It actually apparently I didn't know this uh, that in French you can actually or you could, but probably quite some time ago, say that someone is delicious and talk about not their physical appearances as a as a cake yeah. but uh, their uh, personality is uh, delicious yeah, yeah, but apparently there's also something a kind of expression that you would have used in maybe in the 1920s <laughs> <laughs> so we're not sure what Emmanuel Macron was trying to say but there's something saying that maybe be delightful
1: yeah I think delightful would be the word but it shows that Macron well maybe he speaks English pretty well but he he lacks a little bit of vocabulary
0: he wasn't badly taken by no the Eternal, of course no. <laughs> as far as what i've heard, but it, in, in french <laughs> didn't create a diplomatic he, he probably
1: translated ones. it literally and in french this is what what they call uh, a faux ami, faux ami a false friend and i don't know if australia considers macron as a false friend but at least the, the australian media they had a real laugh about it now from his trip to australia he took another plane and he went to new caledonia which is a French territory in the South Pacific, very far away about uh, I don't know 20,000 kilometers from France, yeah, really on the other side of the world. And why did he go there?
0: Well, the, this is a territory that is getting ready to vote on its independence. This vote will take place in November and um and well, Emmanuel Macron is there to sort of prepare for this for this vote. We'll see if the if Nobel a new Caledonia uh, will still be French uh, next year.
1: Yeah, and it's um, an interesting area because it's, it's not really... Uh part of france in the sense that it's a department it has some kind of autonomy and the uh, independence or at least the referendum was promised uh, 30 years ago after riots and fights between supporters of independence and those who wanted to remain french and that time uh, i think it was jacques Chirac. he promised uh, a referendum in 30 years uh, which is now at the end of this year um, and there's, there's still tension between the parties and so macron is visiting uh, this part of the world um uh, Well, during this tension, um, he will also attend uh, the ceremonies marking the 30th anniversary of the massacre in Uvea. This Um, is a
0: very, very uh, touchy story and sensible story, both for France, of course, but especially for the... For the people of uh, New Caledonia.
1: Yes, uh, the, the Kanak uh, separatists, the Kanak is the people, the original people of the, of the island. Um, they took French military police hostage on the island of Uvea and two gendarmes were killed and also 19 hostage takers. Um, so Macron is going to be there. Um, there's also a film made, I think, uh, by Mathieu Kasuich about this, uh, period in, in history. Um, Mathieu Kasowicz, the famous, uh, actor and director. And he defended the Kanak separatists and that was really uh, not very well received here in Paris. But it shows how, well, sensible his his trip is, Macron's trip is to...
0: Absolutely, and that he's he's doing, he's making this trip exactly on the 30th anniversary of the hostage taking and this massacre uh, is is very symbolic. And it has been, there is, a, there is a debate and there are people who are opposed to Emmanuel Macron attending this ceremony of the 30th anniversary. Uh, there were 19 uh people who died or were killed in that uh, assault uh, apparently 17 of the families were uh, for Emmanuel Macron to attend these ceremonies but two families were still against his uh, his presence but as we said this is of course a very uh, difficult story and especially since uh, no one has been uh, convicted uh, for this assault or for these killings uh, because of kind of a reconciliation deal that was made uh, after the events
1: yeah and and of course the importance of nouvelle caledonie it's very far away from paris it's it's only islands there are about 250 000 people living but it is very rich in uh, nickel so that's an important strategic asset and then there's also the fact that because noumea is french the Fra- france has this huge maritime territory um in, in in that part of the world so it has also a um, defense interest so that's the reason and why, that's
0: why we heard uh, macron and turnbull talk about when uh, macron was in australia the importance of of you know keeping a military cooperation to push back the chinese or at least not letting china take more and more uh, of that area
1: absolutely and, and and france is basically the only uh, country that still has presence in all the continents in south america of course in Africa, in, uh, in the Pacific Ocean, and in Europe. So it's very strategic. Um, so it's a touchy trip.
0: What's going to happen then if they, they vote for uh, an independence?
1: Yeah, well, then they lose their presence in that part of the world. But I think there will be some deals, of course, uh, on a military basis. But it looks like the, the latest polls, it looks like the uh, people who would like to stay part of France are slightly in the majority. But the referendum is only at the end of the year. So many things can change, uh, and we'll probably talk about that again here in uh, So French. Maybe we can do a, a special there, going there it would be nice we'll in Noumea. That. that sounds like a idea. Yeah.
0: So now it's that time of the year the Cannes time of the year. Next week, it's the 71st Festival of Cannes that will kick off. This year, of course, in a in a very particular context, with everything that's happened in Hollywood after the Harvey Weinstein scandal, of course, having its implications as well on the European continent and in European cinema as well. We don't know to what extent quite yet, but we do know that this year has well that was announced quite some time ago already uh, a female head of the jury
1: yes uh, I think the organization of the festival realized that they couldn't
0: (laughs) It (laughs) it was too much of a risk to to take a man, I guess. Absolutely,
1: and and they made some mistakes in the past because the festival is is really close uh, with Woody Allen, for instance. Harvey Weinstein was, of course, also one of the heroes of the Cannes Film Festival because he Americanized the uh, the Cannes Film Festival and made it really into a global festival. For instance, with Pulp Fiction* won the Golden Palm, so he was very important to the Cannes Film Festival. And I think the uh, the organizers, the the direction of the festival, must be pretty embarrassed that they. You know they were collaborating with uh, uh, Weinstein, but nevertheless, this year the uh, head of the jury is Kate Blanchett. She is of course a, a wonderful actress, but she's also very outspoken uh, when it comes to women's rights issue. She's is the twelfth woman uh, to head the Cannes Film Festival. The previous one was Sophia Loren. There was also Ingrid Bergman. Also recently, Isabel Huppert. But only twelve women in seventy-one years very bad track record and the very first one that she's interesting.
0: Yeah, It is. The first woman to head the jury was actually Olivia de Avillon. You might not know her name, but she uh, was she played Melanie Wilkes in Gone with the Wind, the 1939 classic. She was the first woman in 1965 to head Uh, that jury she's an exciting I mean interesting character 101 years old still alive still alive (laughs) and still very vocal and 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 you know strong woman who has you know of course been interviewed about uh, her uh, thoughts about what's going on in Hollywood with Harvey Weinstein and also you know with her own experience as the as a head of the of uh, the Cannes uh, jury and uh, you know she has been I mean, what she said about the fact that it's only been 12 women so far, she said, I am more than surprised. But then she also said, I am dismayed about this. And so she's, you know, she's not very happy about how the, the women are being represented in um, Cannes.
1: And Olivia de Havilland is, is is not only still alive, but she's also living in Paris. Yes. That's, that's really nice. And uh, she was a great actress in the 30s and 40s.
0: But the, yeah, but to, to go back to get back to the uh, to the can, they have there has been some kind of uh, push for uh, women uh, directors and for women. Um, to be more better represented in this year's Cannes Film Festival. We're going to see where it will actually end up. But, you know, you have uh, quite a lot of uh, women directors.
1: Yes, and, and women directors are not doing very badly in France, eh, if you compare to other European countries. Almost a quarter of the French movies are directed by women. Um, and the UK and Spain, it's only 11%, in Italy, 10%. So um, it's it's not the majority, 25%, still a long way to go. But nevertheless, over the last five years, there were 282 French Movies with a female director, and that's almost half of all the European movies directed by women.
0: But it's still a long way because, I mean, if you look at the now, if the the students that are educated from the cinema schools, at, that that's 50 yeah, 50 Yeah. So it's fifty percent women, fifty percent men. But then those who actually become directors of uh, movies uh, are still. So we wonder where where do where do the women go? Uh, also, one interesting thing, of course, when it comes to uh, the cinema. Uh, Business is, it's all a question of money. It's not everything, of course, but a lot is a question of money. And, um, a study that was made in 2017, I think, showed that women directors in France, we're talking now, were paid 42% less than their male uh colleagues 42%. This is quite far from the what is already outrageous uh 10% or we're talking about in other um in other professions. Uh and when it comes to the budget of the actual movies uh women are do tend to have uh, smaller budgets as well. Um the average uh for a male director uh is a 4.7 million euros budget and for a female director that budget is 3.5 million yeah that's
1: a big difference but i think the me too movement really really changed something uh, and it's just the beginning of a, a real emancipation but at least this year Kate blanchett is the president of the jury in Cannes, the film festival that starts next week <laughs> Now, if you want to contact us, you can send us an email on SoFrench at SoFrench.news. But until last week, <laughs> <laughs> you could have sent us a telegram. I didn't even know. It was I still. would have appreciated it. Yeah, I must me say. too. But no, none of you listeners ever sent us a telegram. Very disappointing.
0: And now it's too late.
1: Too late. Yeah. What, what, what happened? I didn't even know they still existed, actually.
0: Neither did I. But we learned this week Then the last French telegram was sent on the 30th of April 2018 at the exact time of 23
1: and 59 wow and it was funny because it was announced by a tweet of one of the (laughs) union presidents (laughs) Um, now now telegrams people were still using it actually was uh, launched in 1879 so that's uh, 100 and almost 130 years ago still being used by uh, well by some people Uh, you could uh, order one on telegram.com.com and how did it work?
0: Oh, yeah. We could either, and then you could call a number and you yeah. called a, a person and you dictated your message. Uh, of course, with the stop and uh, what do you, what do you, what was the other code uh, yeah, words? Dash you had to say. or
1: Dots. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> a, a
0: number of these very particular code words. Yeah. Uh, and then the, mm, the operator transferred it. To the receiver by the phone, and then the next day the post would deliver the actual letter uh, so not exactly uh, the same way as we have uh, learned through movies that the telegram system uh, used to work um, uh, in the, the early, in the earlier days but what is k- kind of fascinating with this story I must say that we learned that in two thousand and five so that 's well fifteen years ago thirteen mm-hmm. years ago nine hundred Thousand telegrams were sent in France.
1: Incredible. In the time with email. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's fascinating. But it's uh, once again the end of an era. uh, After 139 years, you are no longer able to send us a telegram. But you can send us an email. Please do.
0: Now that wraps up this edition of So French. We hope you have enjoyed this anniversary edition please follow us on twitter it's at so french news and if you have any questions or suggestions send us an email on as we said so french at so french dot news
1: and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast in itunes or in the tune in radio application and please share this podcast with your friends and if you like french music check out our playlist on spotify which we update regularly just search for so french podcasts or click the link on our website
0: We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of So French online and on air on World Radio Paris.
1: We hope you'll join us then. Thanks for listening. Au, Au, revoir. Au revoir. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs>